Welcome to the Podcast of the Hill, and Happy Father's Day. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, The Three D's of Daddyhood. If you have your Bible, I'm in Matthew, the first chapter. I want to talk to you today about the three D's of daddyhood. Will you say that with me? The three D's of daddyhood. I I love the D. It looks like that donut we ate a minute ago, doesn't it? Yeah, that was good stuff, right? Did you enjoy that? Would you let Glory and Tony and the crew know let us in that this morning? Thank y'all. Amen. Now, I'm going to preach in a hurry because I know the shelf life on a donut is about half an hour and you'll be asleep on me, right? Because the sugar will crash you. So turn with me, Matthew 1, verse 18. I want to talk to you today uh, about a very special dad who's found in the Scripture in the New Testament. The ancient philosopher Heraclitus once said, Character is destiny. Will you say that with me? Character is destiny. I believe that. Uh, We end up where we are because of who we are and what we are in our inmost being. Reputation is what others think of you, but character is what God and the angels know to be true of you. And character, there's simply no replacement for it. Amen? Uh, We want people who have charisma and people who have competence, but none of those things will make up for a deficiency in character. The world we live in is much in the shape it's in because of a problem in this area. People who lack character, integrity, something on the inside that causes them to do what is right because it's right even when no one's looking and even when no one else would know about it. Character, amen? There's a man in the Bible who exhibits just an amazing picture of moral character, a great man of God, and he's often overlooked. He's often upstaged by his wife, Mary, and his famous son, Jesus. But this man named Joseph, whom we meet in Matthew chapter 1, deserves our attention for a few moments before we take Dad to his favorite steak place. Amen? I wonder how many cows will die because of the men in this room today. Amen. I just wonder. Sorry, just thought about that. Amen. Matthew 1, beginning in the 18th verse, hear the word of the Lord about this great stepfather named Joseph. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her, put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated God with us. Then Joseph being aroused from sleep did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus." May God add a blessing to the reading of his word and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Character is destiny. 
And Joseph was a man of both character and destiny. God picked him to be the stepfather or the surrogate father, whatever you'd like to call him, of his own son, the Lord Jesus. He had to be a very special man to get handpicked for an assignment like that, don't you think? He had to be a very special man for God to look down because we often think, well, God picked Mary. I believe God picked the couple. God picked Mary and Joseph, and he knew that both of them would be integral in the upbringing and preparing of his son for his life's mission. Joseph was a man of character. The Bible says he was a just man. Say a just man. He was a man of justice. He had a heart that was righteous and upstanding before God. He was upright morally. No mention of his charisma. No mention of his ability. Only his solid character. Because God can make up for a lack of charisma. He can always provide gifts. Amen. God can make up for a lack of uh, ability. Uh, All he needs is our availability. Amen. But nothing can make up for a deficiency in our character. Nothing can, and that is what Joseph reminds us of today. I want to tell you, he's a great model of fatherhood for three reasons, and the first one is he was a man of discretion. Say discretion. The first D of daddyhood is discretion. Now, you know what it means to be discreet? To be discreet means that there is a little bit of privacy about your life. You don't air everything out. You don't air all your business out public, publicly. There, you know how to keep certain things private. You know that there are certain things you share publicly and certain things that you do not. Uh, I want to remind you that discretion is a virtue not only... Not, not in spite of, but especially in the days where social media rules our world, right? Oh, Facebook and Instagram and all these different media today. Listen, people get on there and it's like they forget who they are. And they forget where they are. And they forget that other people are reading this and watching this. And other people will see your name by what you share or what you post. Discretion. Say discretion. It's still a virtue to be a discreet person. When I think about Joseph in the story, he could have very easily gone public and announced to everyone what had happened to him. I shudder to think what could have happened if Joseph had been on Facebook. Can you imagine the status update five minutes after he found out that Mary was carrying a child that was not his? I mean, you'd have had the weepy emoji face, right? You would have had the little heartbreak emojis going across the screen. You would have had him announcing to the world what had happened to him. No, he wouldn't have because he didn't do the public equivalent in his own day because he was a man of discretion. And he knew everything didn't have to be aired out publicly, amen? He was a man of discretion. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. We don't have to air everything out that we know. We don't have to announce every grievance. And Joseph certainly didn't do that. The Bible says he was discreet. He didn't air out what he knew about his situation with Mary, even at the risk of his own reputation. It would have benefited him to have gone public about what happened because then he could have announced that he was the innocent party and he could have cleared his 
name, but because he did not, for the rest of his life, he lived under the suspicion that he had sinned against the Lord by taking Mary before their wedding and that this child was actually his. That is the way it appeared. And he allowed that to hang in the air. Joseph finds out that Mary is expecting. How does it make him feel? Probably angry, betrayed, disappointed. But, and the penalty for adultery in the Old Testament was death by stoning. So that meant Mary was in a very serious situation. That, a penalty applied, that penalty applied to infidelity, whether you were betrothed or already married. Betrothal was not like our engagement today. We break them, if we choose to, with little penalty, right? I mean, you may have to send back a couple shower gifts to somebody, but at the end of the day, you're a little embarrassed, but that's about it. Betrothal was legally binding. It was like you were already married. And so infidelity was very serious. A betrothal could only be broken by a writing of divorce. That's how binding it was legally. And so it's a different animal than what you and I are used to today. The Bible tells us this. uh, She was in great trouble. Now, in Mary's day, it is not likely that she would have been stoned to death. It's possible They still did that in a few places, but because they were under Roman rule, they didn't have the right to institute the death penalty anymore. What is very likely, however, is that Mary would have been ostracized. She could have been kicked out of her house. She could have been forced to turn to a life of begging or making a living any way that she could find. There's no telling what could have happened to her if things had gone poorly for her. Upon the discovery that she was expecting, Joseph was morally obliged to divorce her, and this would expose her to shame and public humiliation. But even before God spoke to Joseph, that's what I want you to notice about his discretion. Even before he knew that she had not been unfaithful, even before the angel visit, not after it, before, say before, before he knew, when he still believed the worst, When he still thought she had done the unthinkable, he was a man of integrity, discretion. He decided in his heart, just because I can do something doesn't mean I should do something, and I will not expose her to public humiliation. He made that decision. Even before the angel arrives, he wasn't operating out of vengeance or bitterness of heart. He was minded to put her away secretly, the text says. I love that. That's beautiful. There were ways in which a divorce could be enacted quietly without the involvement of a judge. And Joseph was already considering the best way to do this. He was kind. He loved Mary. It was based on a genuine commitment. And we would do well to follow his model today. The Bible says husbands are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what an example we find in this man. The most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother, David McKay once said. And I think that's true. The greatest model we could give our children is the way we treat the women in our lives, gentlemen. And and the way you treat their mother. And whether you are with their mother currently, and I hope you are, or whether the tragedy of divorce has struck your life and you're having to interact with that mom as 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 a split family situation and you may have custody and she may have custody part of the time, can I urge you something, Dad? For the sake of your children, drop the bitterness. Don't let that monster have you. Don't let it eat you. Your children deserve more than that from you. Don't do it. 
I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know these situations can be difficult. Bring it to the altar. Allow the Lord to give you strength and help. But for the sake of your children, follow the model of Joseph. Whatever Mary had done didn't change who Joseph was. Did you hear me? Whatever he thought Mary had done didn't change his character. He was still a man of integrity and a man of discretion. Say discretion. I love that. What do you mean discretion? What does that mean? Dr. Raymond Culpepper years ago described discretion in three terms. I've never found a better definition. He said being discreet means, number one, that you are self-aware. Say self-aware. You don't have to be first, best, or most. You can know and accept your strengths and your weaknesses. You're comfortable in your own skin. You're able to just be yourself without having to explain or apologize all the time. You know what you're good at. You know what you stink at. And you're able just to kind of own it and step into that with confidence and be who you are. Amen? There's a great liberty in being self-aware enough, comfortable enough in your own skin to just be you and not feel the pressure to become someone that you're not. Amen? Dad, you just do you, and that'll be enough. God doesn't need you to be someone else. He needs you to be the best you that you can be. Amen? I often have people who pick at us as Pentecostal Christians because we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit as a separate work of God, and they say, you think you're better than somebody else because you're Spirit-filled. No, no, no. I'm not better than anybody else because I'm Spirit-filled. I'm a better me. Because I'm spirit-filled. I'm not better than you because I'm spirit-filled. I'm better than I used to be because I'm spirit-filled. Amen? It doesn't make you better than somebody else. It makes you better than you were without him. Amen? You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be a man of discretion. Number two, he's secure. Say secure. Joseph is secure. He doesn't have to have everyone's approval. He doesn't have to have everyone. Uh, affirming his decision. He doesn't even seem to ask anybody else. He makes his mind up. He steps out. He does what is right. He doesn't poll the crowd. He doesn't get on Facebook and ask people to do a thumbs up if they like his choice. I'm so tired of that. People get on there and say, what kind of haircut do you think I should get? If you're not old enough to pick your own haircut, you're not old enough to be on Facebook. Okay? Read it. It's for adults, and you can pick your own haircut, or you can get off. Amen? Amen. That's right. Let your mama have your phone if you can't pick your own haircut. That's just something wrong with that. Amen. Joseph was secure. He was a man enough to make his decision and own his decision and live with the consequences of his decision. Our security is based on our position in Christ, our relationship with God. He strengthens us. We know that he's got us. We're not in... analysis, paralysis. We're not always wondering what to do. We find the security to make a decision. Number three, he was selective. Say selective. He was selective. Joseph doesn't air his opinion about everything. He just chooses his action and he steps forward on the track he's chosen. You know, we don't have to have an opinion about everything. We don't have to have a dog in every fight. Some people want to die on every hill. Have you ever met somebody like that? Ladies, look straight ahead. Do not look at your husband. It's Father's Day. Let him off the hook. Today's his day. Amen. General Patton once said, I fight no battles where I gain no ground by winning. Sometimes you win the fight, but you lose the relationship. What have you won? 
Amen? What have you won? Uh, I fight no battles where I gain no ground by winning. Be selective. Be a man of discretion like Joseph. You don't have to fight every battle. Now, when you pick a battle, engage and win. Amen? Amen? I'm not joking. Men, when you pick a battle, engage it and win it. God's called you to do that. There are moments when you should engage, and when you do, you see it through and you win. Amen? I learned that with, with my children. I won't tell the story because Sean's big enough to be in here now, but come and see me privately. There's a great story about that. Amen? I learned when you pick your battle, you win. Amen? Amen. We are to be men of discretion. Say discretion. Number two, we're to be men of discipline. Joseph was a man of great discipline. The Bible says when the angel came and gave him the news that he took her to be his wife, but there's this great little line in verse 25. Hear what he says. He says, and he did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. Now, if you're in the room and you're an adult, you probably know what that means. In King James or New King James language, this word know to know someone, knowledge of someone, he's talking about intimate physical knowledge of another person. He's referring to their sexual relationship. And basically what he's saying is that Joseph restrained himself from having any, the physical intimacy with his wife that would be normal for a husband and wife because she was with child of the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting thing. He's a man of discipline. And the discipline shows up in the fact that he did not do what he had the right to do. As a husband, he had the right to enjoy intimacy with his, with his spouse. But he chose to forego what he had the right to do because something of the kingdom was more important. Did you hear me? Something in the kingdom of God was more important to him. And what it means to be a, a man of character means that sometimes we understand that our responsibilities are more important than our rights. Did you hear me? Everyone today wants to talk about rights. I have a right to this and I have a right to that and my rights have been violated. Well, maybe we could talk about rights, but in the church, I think now is the time we ought to talk more about responsibilities, the flip side of that coin, because we live in a culture where everyone wants to have the right, but no one wants to take the responsibility. And Joseph said, I can't just do what I have the right to do. I have a responsibility here. God has called me to be the father of his own son. God has called me to take care of Mary. God has called me to defend this boy. God's called me to model for him what it means to be a man of God. I will be the physical image of his heavenly father. I will be the earthly who shows him what his heavenly ought to be like. And it matters. And so he was more focused on his responsibilities than his rights. Oh God, raise up a generation of men again who are all about being responsible, who worry more about doing right than having their rights. Amen. Responsible. Men who understand they are the protector of their family. Amen. Protect their home. They know how to defend their house, and they'll do it if they have to. If they're called upon, they'll lay down their life to defend their family and their home, and even their community if called upon to do so. Physically, yes, and spiritually, and morally, and in every other way to be the protector of your house. The gatekeeper of what you allow and don't allow to come into your home. The provider 
One who makes sure that financially your ne- the needs are met of your house. Even if that means working a second job. Even if that means going above and beyond the call of duty. Making sure that the needs of the house are met. This is the responsibility of being a man, of being a husband, of being a father. God gave Adam a job before God gave him a wife. The order matters. Lady, if he don't have a job, tell him to come back when he does. You hear me? Amen. Amen. Get a job, bring me a cancel check stub, and we'll talk about going out. Amen. That's right. That's how you do it. Mm. Amen. Then call the number and make sure he still works there, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> His job is to protect, it is to provide. His job is to be the priest of his home. Ladies, you don't need a man you got to lead. He's supposed to be leading your family. If you ask him to bless the food and he says, God is great, God is good, he's not the man to lead your house. You need a man who knows how to pray, knows how to get a hold of God. Amen. A man who prays often and regularly and will cover you in prayer. A man you don't have to wake up for church. He wakes everybody else up and says, come on, we're leaving in 30 minutes. You need to be in the car. Amen. A man who will bring your kids if their hair's not dry yet and still come to church on time. Glory to God. I don't know if I'm mad or anointed, but I'm feeling it. (laughs) Hallelujah. A man who will protect and provide and be a priest over your house. A man of discipline, say discipline. I love it. Psalm 112, verses 1 to 3 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house. His righteousness endures forever. A man of discipline has his priorities in order. What do you mean? Well, he's got a priority. His relationship with God. He makes God a priority. Say God. The Bible says in verse 1, he fears the Lord. He delights greatly in God's commandments. Amen? That's important. Number 2, he makes his family a priority. Verse 2 says, his descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. You need a man who makes God a priority. You need to be a man who makes your family a priority. Did you hear me? We live in a day where oftentimes... Too many men think that their only responsibility is to bring home the bacon, to bring home a paycheck, to make money financially. No, friend, you work two jobs. Let me explain this, guys. Tony Evans explained it to me like this, and it it never left my mind. Every man in here works two jobs. Say two jobs. You say, no, I work one job. No, you work two. If you're a husband and a father, you work two jobs. And when you clock out of your first job and you're driving on your way home, it's not time for you just to come home and put your feet up and be king of the remote control. You pick you out a spot halfway home. It can be a tree or a telephone pole or whatever it is. But when you cross that spot, you take all the work stuff and you put it in a bag in your mind and you tie it up and you roll the window down and you drop that bag off by that tree. And then you get in the other box. You say, I'm going to my second job. My second job is to go in and check on my wife and my children and to shepherd my children's heart and to spend time with them and to talk with them and see how they're doing and find out what they need from me and then to walk in and make sure that they're taken care of, to do whatever I can to help my wife around the house because if she's working another job, then it isn't her job to do everything at the house. 
People say, Pastor, you know how to iron and do dishes and all kinds of Well, your mama must taught you. No, my daddy taught me. My daddy taught me. I can cook because my daddy can cook as good as my mama. You didn't know that, did you? Yeah. My dad taught me, and my dad taught me that it was not beneath the dignity of a man to sweep a floor or vacuum one or iron a shirt or do a load of laundry. Amen. It doesn't have to be manly things in the yard. Now, you ought to do those and take care of those if you need to or make sure that someone's doing that. But it won't hurt you, I promise. Your wife can teach you. Any man who can run a dish remote control can run a dishwasher. <laughs> Amen. I'm just saying. It's not that hard. You can do it. Amen. Make your family a priority. Guys, do you know the major needs of your wife? She needs affection conversation. She needs honesty. She needs openness. She needs financial support. She needs family commitment. That's a great little read. His needs, her needs. If you've ever read it, you ought to read it. It's worth the, worth the time. Men usually are task-oriented. Most of us by nature are driven. We want to get stuff done. But what that means is we have to be careful because our wife doesn't just want us to get stuff done. She does. She's grateful for that. But she also longs to connect with you emotionally. She didn't marry you just to open peanut butter jars and bugs. Okay? I mean, come on. She could get the neighbor guy to do that and not have to wash his underwear, right? I'm just saying. She married you because she wanted a relationship with you. She wants to connect with you emotionally and spiritually. She wants conversation with you. And that's more than grunts and uh-huh. Yeah. She wants you to talk. So you disengage from work, you sign up for your second job halfway home, and you walk in, and you get ready to serve your wife and serve your children. And when you get the children down to bed, you check on your wife's heart, you find out how she's doing, make sure she's okay, read God's Word together, grab her hand, pray with her, and make sure that her heart is shepherded as well. And if you do that, I want to tell you something. You'll fall into bed exhausted every night, and you won't have time to play a lot of video games. Amen. Amen. Lord help us. Make family a priority. Your wife needs you. Your children need you. Boys come here hardwired with a question. John Eldridge taught us this. He said, boys come here asking the question, am I capable? Say capable. Every man comes here wondering. Every little boy grows up wondering, am I a man? Am I like my dad? Am I a man? Can I make it in a man's world? Do I have what it takes to make it in a man's world? Now I know there are bad stereotypes of men and not all men fit the stereotypes. I hear people joking about men who like to drink lattes all the time. I rather like lattes myself. Amen. There's nothing wrong with that. Amen. I can own it. I'm comfortable in my own skin. Amen. I'm 41 and I've got three kids. I'm not worried about what you think about me in that way. I drink lattes. They're quite good. Caramel is my favorite, in case you're wondering. <laughs> but every boy comes here with a question. Am I capable? Say capable. Do I have what it takes to make it in a man's world? And the assignment of every father is to raise that boy and launch him into life so that when he leaves your house, the answer to that question ringing in his ears and answering in his heart is yes. Yeah. You know, not cocky, not arrogant. Don't overdo it. Amen. <laughs> but secure, strong, man enough to be able to step out of the world and say, I, I know I've still got some things to learn and I know that I, I don't have this thing whipped yet, but I feel pretty good about stepping into life. 
I think that I have been taught what I need to know to make it in a man's world, and I'm going to be okay. I can handle what I need to handle. And guys, it's our responsibility to slowly, from the time they're children into adulthood, add responsibility on their shoulders and teach them how to live into that so that when they become men, they actually launch in life and do what they're called to do. Amen? Amen. That's our responsibility. So guys, that is the, that's the thing. We're to take them on the journey. We're to teach them life skills. We're to coach them into victory. We're to affirm that they do have what it takes. Otherwise, we cripple them and they go passive and they always wonder. Until a man knows he's a man, he'll always be trying to prove he's one. And I want to tell you, there's nothing worse in the world than a man who's trying to prove he's a man all the time. He just gets on everybody's nerves. He breaks relationships. He just doesn't do well. A man needs to know that he is, and he gets that from his father. You say, well, I don't have a father. Well, then you need to find a father. I didn't say your biological dad. I said you need to find a father. You need to find an older man or a company of men, a group of men, who will let you into their world and who will love you and walk with you and coach you. Because I want to tell you, if you've lost your father, God can send you some spiritual fathers to come around you. One of the greatest men in the New Testament was a man named Timothy. We don't know anything about his father except that he was a pagan and that he, he, there's nothing ever said about him in the scripture about him being a man of faith. We know he's a Roman and he's likely a pagan. But his mother and his grandmother raised him, but Paul took him on as a spiritual son and he grew up and became a great mighty man of God who pastored the church at Ephesus and at Corinth and different points in his ministry. And he's one of, there's a, two books of the Bible named after the boy because he was taken on by a spiritual father. Maybe you're here today and you don't have that. In the company of the church, find you some men who will father you. There are people around you who will invest in your life. Let them. Reach out to them. Invite them to come into your life. Amen? Girls come here with a different question. Girls ask the question, am I captivating? Say captivating. Ladies, some of you are enjoying the study on Wednesday nights that Melissa and Hannah are leading. It's called Captivated. It's uh, by Stacy Eldridge. And she talks about this question. Girls are born with this question. Am I captivating? Do I capture attention? Am I worth pursuing? Dad, you ever wondered why your little girl will put a princess dress on in the last game of the Final Four? Get right in front of the television and spin in circles? Here's why. She's asking you a question. Do I turn your head? Do I capture your attention? Am I worth the investment of your time and your energy? Are you willing to invest me? Do you notice me? Am I beautiful? Am I captivating? Do I hold your attention? And you may say, that's surface. Oh, no, it's not surface. It goes all the way down because she's not asking a question about how she looks. She's asking a question about her value. Am I valuable to you? How do I rate on the scale of things in your life? Do I rate above or below sports and television and hobbies? And gentlemen, you want to answer that question right. Because if you don't, I can assure you, there's some little smart aleck 16-year-old kid in her class who can't wait to have an opportunity to answer that question for her. Do you hear me? You want to make sure you're answering her question. Baby, you're all that and a bag of chips. In fact, none of those boys in your class are anywhere near good enough for you. Just leave all of them alone. You want to scare those boys, right? Yeah. Walk around school and don't smile, ever. And when one of them finally gets brave enough to show up at your house and ask them to date your daughter, you know what to do, right? Clean your gun 
right there. In front of that. That's, that's it. That's what you do. Amen. And you communicate. She may not be to you, but to me. This little girl is the most valuable thing God ever dropped in my lap on this planet. And if you hurt her, God help you. You better ask the Lord for mercy because you won't get any from me. You hear me? That is your job. That is your right as dad. And if she doesn't like it, you're doing a good job. If she doesn't like it. Why? Because you're validating, you're valuing her, you're saying to her, you matter, you matter more than anything to me, and she's going to learn that from you, and if you feel that way about her, and you see her that way, then I want to tell you, it'll help her when some 15-year-old punk walks up to her and tries to win her heart away, she'll look at him, and she'll see through him, and she'll say, you're not a man, my daddy's a man. That's right. Amen. But I want to take you to Sonic. My daddy takes me to Felix's. Uh-huh. What are you picking me up in? Oh, my daddy drives a better car than that. I'll just go with my daddy. Yeah. Amen. Dads, we must make our family a priority. It's fun and we laugh, but let me ask you the question. Is it on your radar screen? I mean, really, is it on your radar screen? Here this morning, yeah. What about Tuesday at 6? What about Thursday at 4? Are we really thinking through this during the week? Or when you leave church on Sunday, do you get pulled underwater by your career and all the demands of work and life and you aren't even really noticing and spending time with these boys and raising them up to be men who walk out going, I know who I am. I'm secure in my masculinity. I'm able to face the challenges of life because my dad taught me how to do that and launched me in life. Is your daughter stepping into school with her head held high going, I know my worth and my value and I don't need some kid in shoulder pads on the football team to tell me what I'm worth. I already know what I'm worth. You're beautiful. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Amen. Are we investing? Is family a priority? Number three, they make their character a priority. And I'm closing with this. Say character. Verse 3, wealth and riches are in their house, and his righteousness endures forever. A man of character, a man who's always righteous. Listen to his character, verses 4 and 5. He's gracious, full of compassion. He's righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. There's that word again. Dads, are we men of self-discipline? Are we in control of our tongue and our temper? Are we showing our young men how to control their physical appetites? We can't tell them to stay sexually pure if we're looking at things that we shouldn't be looking at. They'll find out and they'll follow in the footsteps you tried to cover up. If you want them to live right, don't tell them, show them, lead them, be the model, be the example for heaven's sakes. Are we modeling the kind of men we want our daughters to grow up and marry? Are we leaving a legacy of spiritual discipline? Do our children catch us praying? Do they catch us reading the Bible? Are we faithful in church attendance? Are we generous? Do they see us giving the offering? Do they know that we give sacrificially? Do they see us serve? Do they watch us show up at church and serve in a ministry? Show up and serve in a position? Go on a mission trip? Attend a men's work day? Do they know that we witness our faith? Do they hear us talk about Jesus outside of church? Do they hear us talk about Jesus to people that don't know Jesus? Do they hear us do that? Is, are we modeling this for them? Are we a model of right priorities? Are we men of 
character. Number three, he's a man of discretion and discipline. And finally, dependability. What do you mean? Character. A man who obeys God. I want you to notice this about Joseph. There is not one word ever recorded that Joseph said. Say, not a word. Not a word. There's not one word from the lips of Joseph in the Bible. Mary, we have a whole song by her. Mary, we have a whole conversation with the angel and with Elizabeth. But Joseph, we have not a single word. He's not known by his words. He's known by his actions in the Bible. And all the men said, amen. His actions do all the talking. Our actions always speak louder than our words. Amen. The Bible says in verse, chapter 1, verse 24, the angel gave him an instruction. Said, then, the Bible says, and then, Mary, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. The angel spoke. Joseph obeyed. The angel said in verse 25, you shall call his name Jesus. Guess what? He, he named the child. Jesus. You say, no, Mary named him that. No, verse 25 says Joseph named him that. Joseph named him that because God told him to. Chapter 2, verse 13, the Bible says that Joseph has a dream. And the angel says in the dream, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Verse 14 says, When he arose, he took the child and his mother by night and departed from Egypt. He didn't even wait till the next morning. He woke up from the dream, nudged Mary, said, pack up the diaper bag, we're leaving. She said, now, in the middle of the night? He said, right now, in the middle of the night, we're in danger. The Lord has spoken, and we must obey. Amen. Oh, God, for men like that, who every time God speaks, they obey. Mary, I want you to notice, God didn't give Mary a dream, he gave Joseph a dream. She had to trust his leadership. She had to trust that he'd heard from God. And she had to lean into that leadership. And when she did, she was blessed by it. If you have a godly man who prays and hears from God, let him lead. Mm. Come on, ladies, it's Father's Day. <laughs> Verse 2 in chapter 221, when the angel says, Arise, take the child, and go to the land of Israel. Those who seek his life are dead. The Bible says, Then he arose, took the child and his mother, came to the land of Israel, and settled in a place called Nazareth, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. God could depend on Joseph to obey when he spoke. Men, are we men of dependability? Do we obey God? Do we take him at his word? Do we obey his word? Are we faithful, loyal, dependable to God? That's the question. Joseph obeyed everything the angel told him. At every point God speaks, he obeys. No hesitation, no questioning, no arguing. Maybe this is where Jesus' half-brother James learned his character from too. The one who wrote the book of James. He's constantly reminding us, faith without works is dead. Actions speak louder than words. I wonder if James learned that from his daddy Joseph. Dads, what about us? Are we dependable? Do we fully and quickly obey God? Do we keep our promises? Do we follow through on our commitments to our wives, our children, our church, our friend, our employer? The Christmas story wouldn't be the same without Joseph. A disciple God trusted with the greatest assignment in all of human history for a father to raise his only son. Men, do you recognize your family today as a precious gift? Can I tell you today, you may not be raising Jesus, but can I tell you that in the very similar way, God has entrusted the children under your care to you. They're gifts. They're on loan. They don't belong to you. You're stewards. 
God gives them to you for a short season to launch into life, but they're His. Children are heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward, the Bible said. Children come from God. They're a gift from Him. Amen? There may be some illegitimate parents, but there are no illegitimate children. You hear me? Uh, That child, however he or she got here and came into your life, is God's gift to you. And you will answer to God for how you treat His gifts, especially the children that He entrusts to your care. Christian, are you the kind of disciple God can use? Discretion, discipline, dependability. Stand with me all over the Lord's house today. Years ago, there was a story of a Spanish father and a son who became estranged. The son ran away. The father set off to find him. He searched for month after month to no avail. He looked and looked. Finally, in a desperate attempt to locate him, the father put an ad in the Madrid newspaper. The ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday morning, 800 young men named Paco showed up in front of the newspaper office looking for forgiveness and looking for their daddy. I want to say two things to you today as we pray. Maybe you're here today and the relationship between you and your father or you and your son is broken. Can I tell you today with all the love in my heart, I know that I know there are things that are often beyond our control, but can I just say this to you today? With all that is within you, with all that you can do on your side of the fence, will you leave here today with a determination to go mend that relationship? You don't have to agree about everything. You don't have to see eye to eye about everything. But you don't know what it would mean just to have the relationship mended and you to try again to begin to mend that fence. There may be great pain and hurt in the past. I don't know what happened there. You may need to have some very strong boundaries in place, at least on the front end. I get that. There's nothing wrong with that, depending on the circumstances. But you know what? You will never know what a powerful testimony it can be if you could mend that fence. Pastor, do you believe that? My father was in his 30s when his daddy walked into his life knocked on the door and introduced himself. My dad had been converted and filled with the Holy Ghost about six months before he knocked on the door. I'm so thankful for the Lord's timing. If it had been six months earlier, my daddy would have slammed the door in his face and walked away. But because the Lord had gotten a hold of my daddy, my father and his father died friends and I grew up with a grandpa. Fix it if you can. Fix it if you can. It matters. It matters for the next generation. Number two, maybe you're here and your struggle is not with your earthly father, it's with your heavenly father. Maybe you're here today and you're estranged from God. You're separated from God as father. You don't have a relationship with him today. Can I tell you today, Paco, God's got your number. God has announced in the gospel to you today, all your sins were nailed to Jesus cross. If you'll repent and turn away and come back to him and ask him to forgive you, he'll receive you into his family. He'll be your father and you can be his son or daughter. Are you open to that relationship? You can be. The altar's open. If you need to pray, I invite you to come pray as we sing and as we pray. Father, in Jesus' name, meet us here.
who've gathered because we love you. You know the need. You know our hearts. You know the brokenness in this room. You know those who need healing in their relationship with their Father. And Lord, you know many others who just need to mend the fence with God. Their heart is not connected to you. They aren't walking with you. They need your help. They need your touch. I pray today that in these moments of stillness, as we sing and worship you, you would draw our hearts. Draw us to you. Let us get it right as much as depends on us. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, God's people said. Let's sing to the Lord. The altar's open. We're going to pray. Then we're going to go. If you need to come, take this moment. Take this moment and let us come. Chad, lead us. Thank you for listening to our podcast up the hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening up the hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org. Join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.